want to welcome you to Restoration. My name is Dan Song. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be together this morning. Um, as you find your seats, I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles provided for you underneath the chair in front of you. And there you could turn to page 931, 931 of the church Bibles. And uh, we're going to look at verse 40, the end of chapter 21, verse 40, and go through chapter 22, verse 21. We've been in the book of Acts for some time, kind of taking breaks here or there. And we are on Paul's last and final missionary journey, which will lead him to Rome where he would be waiting to be executed. But last week we looked at how he was in Ephesus and he says farewell to the elders of the church. And his desire is to go to Jerusalem. And he makes it to Jerusalem with a warm welcome, sees James and others. But while he's there, there's a riot. And they want, like we've seen, this is actually the 14th time in the book of Acts where the Christians are verbally or physically assaulted. 14th time. And here, Paul again is verbally and physically assaulted. And there's this huge riot because there's these false accusations against Paul for what he's teaching. And while he's being beat and dragged, the Roman centurions are the ones that actually rescue him. And as they rescue him, Paul asks these Roman uh, centurions, let me talk to these Jewish people. And it's here where we're going to pick up where Paul speaks to those that are thirsty for blood, who actually want to kill him. And he speaks to his people. And so I'm going to invite Naomi Peters to come on up, and she's going to give us the reading of God's word, starting in verse 40 of chapter 21. So let's give attention to God's word. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Naomi. That was a long passage for her to read. She did awesome. Pray with me as we uh, go into God's word this morning. Lord, we give you thanks um, for the ways that you worked in Paul's life, even as he just shared his testimony to those that were about to kill him. Um, And we all have our own stories of faith and our journey of faith. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as we dive into this story, we ask that you would open our eyes, give us ears to hear, and transform us so that, Lord, we might be able to testify to the goodness of who you are and what you have done in our lives. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at the importance of testimony or story of our faith, uh, just this week, I subscribed to the Harvard Business Journal and or re- re- review, and in there, this week, I kid you not, the title on the front cover of the Harvard Business Review was this, Storytelling That Drives Bold Change. I'm like, huh, how ironic that on the week I'm thinking about storytelling, that this is on the front cover. So I read it, and it was interesting. Their, their premise was that stories bring about change. And they are effective means to leverage power and transformation. And as I thought about that, that's so true about our stories of faith. Stories are such a powerful tool in being able to communicate to people, right? It's one thing for me this morning to just give you a set of propositions. 
to say stories are powerful. Amen? Let's pray. Right? But to actually tell a story of how it is powerful is a whole nother thing. For instance, when our son was three years old, one of my, uh, one of my wife's favorite books is the Chronicles of Narnia. And so she got out for him the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And as a three-year-old boy, she, she began to read the first chapter of that book. And this little boy was so immersed and entranced by the story, enchanted by the story, that when she finished chapter one and was closing the book, all he could do was go, I want more. He couldn't even speak because he was so immersed into the story. Story is a powerful tool that is used to be able to not only in, uh, engage our emotions, but actually bring about transformation. And we've seen it in our culture both positively, right? And we've seen it used negatively in politics, in the news, with social agendas. And here, as we look at this story this morning, we see how stories of our faith, of what Jesus has done in our lives, are just as, if not more powerful, that actually can bring about transformation in not only our lives, but in the lives of others that we share with. And this morning, what I want us to do is think about what is Paul's story that he shares? But secondly, why are stories and our testimonies so powerful and so important? That's what I want to look at this morning. So as we delve in, let's look at this first aspect of what is Paul's story here? Well, I think we see three aspects to his story that he shares. First, there's life as a Jew in verses 3 through 5. Then secondly, an encounter with Jesus in verses 6 through 16. And then lastly, his commission to the Gentiles that Jesus gives to him. Now, it's almost a set of like before Jesus, his encounter with Jesus, and then what his life looks like after his encounter with Jesus. Now look at his life before Jesus. Before he meets him, the way he begins to talk to these bloodthirsty people that want to kill him is he tries to build bridges. He lowers the barriers to say, I am like you. You Jewish leaders of the synagogue who are so out to want to kill me, I was just like you and I am like you. And he does this by saying, look, I was the Jew of the Jews. There were these three uh, leaders, Jewish leaders, that trained all of these uh, Pharisees. And the top goat, the greatest of all time, was Gamaliel. And he was trained by him. And you talk about a zealot, someone who is zealous for their religion. I was the most. You guys stayed in Jerusalem, but you know what I did? I, was, I made it international. I went to Damascus to be able to bring back those Christians who were, who were saying foolish and crazy things, and I was going to bring them back and imprison them and kill them. So you talk about someone who's the smartest, who is committed to our religion, who's taught and trained by the best, who is the most zealous in going across the boundaries to bring back these Christians. 
I am one of you. Now, he's saying my story is your story. And for us, we each have our own stories for those who follow Jesus, what it was like before that, right? My own story was one where I went to church before I was even born. <laughs> I grew up as a pastor's kid, and I remember as a little, little kid, maybe three, four years old, sitting in the church pews at 5.30 a.m. at morning prayer every single day and watching all of these adults pray and cry out to Jesus and God before they would go off to work. I remember loving Jesus and hearing the stories of Scripture and wanting to follow Jesus. But that faith was one where it was still my parents' faith. Yes, I loved Jesus. Yes, I understood my sin. But it was still something that I had not internalized for myself. And so as a pastor's kid, when I could finally have my own freedom and go to college, I left my faith behind in Chicago. And I decided to do my own thing in college. And what I thought was fun and liberating to do whatever I want and not go to church and just do whatever was fun for me, if I was actually honest with myself, I was miserable because I was always chasing after the next thing that would bring me happiness, the next thing that would give me that hit. That was my college years. What's your story? Here Paul brings it down to the place where he says, I was a Jew, and I was there to kill other people like you guys want to kill me. But then he encounters Jesus in verses 6 through 16, and we looked at that in chapter 9, right? On the road to Damascus, this bright light shines, and Jesus encounters Paul. And he brings him to faith. He blinds him. He takes him. Uh, he goes to Damascus. He meets Ananias. And what does he say here at the, ver at the end of this, of this passage or verse 16? He, he says he's to be baptized, to confess his sins, and follow Jesus. We all have our stories of how we encountered Jesus. For me, as I went through my college years miserable, thinking that I was actually having fun, it wasn't until my senior year, and I don't, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I thought I had to now be an adult as I was graduating college. You know, I had to do the adulting thing. And for whatever reason, I didn't know it at the time, but I felt like I had to get some of my things in order about what I believed. I grew up Christian my entire life. For three and a half years, I wasn't following Jesus. So how did I make sense of my Christianity? And it began to bring within me or within me this question of who am I? Where am I going? Where did I come from? Why is there evil and suffering in this world? I didn't name it at that time, but these were the meta questions that we all have. As people who are human beings, naturally we have these questions of why are we here on this earth? Why is there evil and suffering? Why are all the things happening in the Middle East as they are? And people are suffering and people are dying and there's so much injustice. Well, I had to figure that out for myself. And obviously now looking back, that was the Holy Spirit working in my heart. And in that place, I realized for myself that I had to look at Christianity and give it a fair shot. I had to look at Buddhism from my own upbringing of my family's heritage. I had to look at atheism, but also I had to look at Islam because of my cousin who had converted and thinking about what, where does that fit in? 
to our story. And so as I looked at these different worldviews, I realized that Christianity didn't answer, it per- answer those questions perfectly, but what it did was it was honest. It was most honest about the questions I had. And because of its honesty and its integrity, I put my faith wholeheartedly in the Christian worldview of this Jesus who I was to follow. That was my faith story. That was me encountering Jesus. And yes, it was intellectual and all heady, but that began to actually work itself out in my emotions, in my loves, thinking about even my vocation of what I wanted to do to go into vocational ministry full-time and become a pastor. It impacted how, what kind of finances and generosity. It impacted my self-identity, my worth, my relationships, dating, marriage, and now raising children. It impacted all of those areas of my life. That's the encounter that I had. This is the encounter that Paul shares with these people that want to kill him. But then he shares in, in the last portion of 17 through 21, his commission to the Gentiles. When he's commissioned to the Gentiles, or when he follows, he becomes a Christian and encounters Jesus, he's afraid for his life, right? Because what he says is, wait, I've been killing all of these people, and now I'm going to enter into their community? They're going to want to kill me. How do I preach the gospel when so-and-so is sitting there and they know that I killed their husband, that I killed their father? And what does Jesus tell him? Jesus says, I've listened to you and I'm going to send you far away to to, uh, preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to those that are not Jewish. Now what's ironic about that is he he experiences so much hardship anyway, right? Whether it's to the Jewish community or to the Gentile community, he is always being threatened with his life. And yet he follows Jesus for the rest of his life. And what does he say throughout his letters? In Philippians, he says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is his commission, what it looks like to follow Jesus after encountering him. The same applies for us. For those who follow Jesus this morning, how has Jesus impacted your life? How has he impacted your identity? your sexuality, your work, your relationships and your dating, your marriage, raising children, your church family and what what importance church has for you. How has your character been impacted by encountering Jesus? In your studying at school and with your classmates or sweetmates in college, what does your finances and generosity look like? What is the story that you have to share? And I think this is a great, great framework for you to think about what it looks like for you to have your own story of faith. What it was like before encountering Jesus, then encountering him, and then what it has looked like afterwards. Not perfect, but one that has begun to change every aspect and outlook of your life. That's the story Paul shares. But why is story so important, right? 
How does that actually, where does the rubber meet the road for us in telling our stories and having a story maybe? Maybe for some of us, we don't even have a story to share. If your coworker or a neighbor asked you, well, what does Christianity have to do for you in your life? Do you have a story to share this morning with those around you? Well, we have to understand why stories are important. And I have just three brief things for us to look at and why it's so important. First, it centers you or it grounds you. And that's important because what is Paul's first instinct when he's getting dragged and beaten and destroyed and about to lose his life? What would be your first instinct if you're being dragged by a mob, angry and wanting to kill you? What would be your first instinct? I think it'd be self-preservation, right? It would be whatever you could do to be able to get out of that situation. What's Paul's first instinct? To share his story of what God did in his life. He's like, Romans, hold up. I know you're trying to take me into the barracks and protect me, but give me one more one more minute or five more minutes or ten more minutes. Give me one more shot and just let, let me speak to these, this mob that wants to kill me. Why does he do that? Because this story of his faith, his testimony grounds him and centers him. In other words, what, what, what I'm trying to get at is that we are forgetful people and so easy to forget who we are. In a world that bombards us with different narratives and different stories, who you should be, and what you don't measure up with. But if we know our story and what God has done for us, we know our identity. We know we are loved. We know we are made in His image. We have worth, not from our own doing or what people tell, about us, tell us about, but because the God of the universe has created us and says that we are worthy. Our stories and remembering our stories of what God has done in us centers us and grounds us and gives us the courage, gives us the strength to carry on when times get hard. When you experience tragedy, when you experience hardship and suffering, our stories center us and ground us. And that's what we see here in Paul telling the story when the circumstances would say they are not conducive for you to take a time out and say, let me tell you my story. But it reminds us that as he tells his story, he shines and radiates Jesus. In this one book that I read called Tell Me a Story, in the opening sentence, this is what it says about story. Our greatest desire, greater than even the desire for happiness, is that our lives mean something. This this desire for meaning is the originating impulse for story. We tell stories because we hope to find or create significant connections between things. Stories link past, present, and future in a way that tells us where we have been, where we are, and where we are going. Our stories teach us that there is a place for us that we fit. And there's no greater story than the gospel that tells us exactly who we are and where we are going and where we fit. That's what story does. It centers us and grounds us. But secondly, stories transform us. It's not just about centering you as an individual, but it's also about this communal aspect that we cannot forget that stories do for us. 
It's a community participation. Paul, in verse 1 of chapter 22, or chapter 22, do you know what he says to the killers and those that want to destroy him and want him dead? How does he address them? He says, brothers and fathers. Brothers and fathers. While these men want to kill him, because of the story that centers him, he believes that there can be transformation happening between those that tell and those that listen to the story. And he does that by beginning this story, by, by beginning his story and addressing them in a relationship. A relationship. That there's this relationship, and because of that relationship, as their story being told, there's transformation. I've shared with you guys in the past, I'm part of this Gateway Whiskey Society. And one of the founding guys with me, he lost his uh, significant other suddenly and tragically. And he, I knew he grew up in the church as a kid, but had completely left it in high school and so forth. And now he's in his 50s. And so when I got together with him, I shared a little bit of my story in some of the experiences of death and tragedy and suffering. And do you know what he said to me as he listened to my story? He said, I need that. I need that. Because he was in such a place of hopelessness. Without grief, without any hope. And as he heard this story being told of hope, of eternal hope, he said, I need that. But then he said, but I'm just not ready to go that far. You see, but even though he did not come to a place of faith, that story of how God had worked in my life through grief and tragedy and death transformed his heart enough by the Spirit to be able to say, I need that kind of hope in my life. And that's what story does as we tell our stories, not only to non-Christians, right, other than Christians, but to us in our community. We're, it's Youth Sunday, and if you were here a few weeks ago, Carissa stood here and shared about her own story of engaging her own faith with those that were other than Christian. Her stories of feeling inadequate, but of the ways that God taught her through that of how good He is. Now God still is using her. You see, story, and that story just did something in my own heart. To be able to say, I need to do more of that. I've been taking it back and being, uh, being afraid or not courageous enough to share with more people my story and tiptoeing around the gospel. You see, telling stories helps us be transformed not only within our own community, but those who are other than Christian. We need to tell our stories because it is the thing that transforms lives by the work of the Spirit. The Spirit that is orchestrating the listener and the teller and transforming hearts. Kurt Thompson, who, who wrote this book, Soul of Shame, he explains what happens neurobiologically when one bears witness to the stories that we share. Just listen to this. As we tell our stories to others to the, to the degree that they are attuned to us, our story is modified, changed, 
The very act of attuning to someone non-verbally creates right hemisphere to right hemisphere brain connections that alter the experience in real time. In this way, good listeners energize the storyteller and so encourage the story to be more told more faithfully. Hence, storytelling is much more a dance between teller and listener than it is a monologue. In fact, it is fair to say that the story is what tends to emerge between speaker and listener, both playing a central role in its telling. See what he's saying? He's saying not only does it transform us in our hearts and spiritually, but it transforms us neurobiologically in our brains, physically, from the head to the toe. We are being transformed as we tell the stories of our faith. So why is it so important? It centers us. It transforms us. But lastly, as we close, it glorifies Jesus. It gives him the praise that he deserves for what he has done and he is doing in our lives. You see, as we tell our stories and we learn to tell our stories, what Jesus has done for me should always be connected to what Jesus has done, period. In our stories, we need to be telling of what Jesus has done. What he has done perfectly. Of him going to the cross and sacrificing himself out of his abundant and sacrificial and unconditional love of how he died and he rose again. And how as he sitted at the right hand, he will come again and all things sad will come untrue because he is making all things new. You see, our stories are not just about what he's done for me, but they have to be about what Jesus has just done. That needs to be the central aspect of all of our stories that we share because it actually exalts and glorifies Jesus in what he has done. This Point is actually made perfect in this New York Times bestseller called Everything Sad is Untrue. It's by the author Daniel Neyeri. And he tells, his, he writes this memoir of being a refugee from Iran to the States. And Neyeri tries to explain the reason in his book for his mother's conversion from Islam to Christianity. From being, as he says, such a fierce Muslim that she marched for the revolution, who studied the Quran the, ver the way very few people do, to becoming a Christian. Not just a regular one who keeps it in their pocket. She fell in love with Jesus. And when people ask him why his mom converted from Islam to Christianity, he replies, I don't have an, an, I don't have an answer. And this is what he says in his book. Quote, how can you explain why you believe anything? So I just say what my mom says when people ask her. She looks them in the eye with the begging hope that they'll hear her. And she says, because it's true. Why else would she believe it? It's true and it's more valuable than $7 million in gold coins and thousands of acres of Persian countryside, and 10 years of education to get a medical degree, and all your family, and a home, and maybe even your life. My mom wouldn't have made the trade otherwise. If you believe it's true that there is a God, and he wants you to believe in him, and he sent his son to die for you, then it has to take over your life. It has to be worth more than everything else because heaven's waiting on the other side. There's no middle. She had all that wealth, 
the love of all those people she helped in her clinic. They treated her like a queen. And she's poor now. People spit on her on buses. She's a refugee in places people hate refugees. And she'll tell you it's worth it. Jesus is better. It's true. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. This whole story hinges on it. Unquote. You see, the role of our personal stories testifies to the work that Christ has done in yours and my life. That's why no matter how much happiness that you have found in Christ, when asked in the final sentence why we believe, we always have to say like Neri's mother, because Jesus is better and the gospel is actually true. So restoration, share your stories. Share your stories for it will center us in our faith. It will transform our community. And it will bring glory to Jesus for what he is doing in and through you. Then the world will know, whether it's your friends, your college mates, your school friends, your families, your coworkers, and neighbors, that Jesus is not just true, but he's also beautiful. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that the stories that you have written in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, help us to be able to tell them faithfully, not of only what you have done in our lives, but what you have done, period, so that not only will it center us, not only will it transform us, but Lord, you will be exalted and glorified and people will come to know you because of what you have done in us and through us. Lord, may that be true even as we come to the table this morning. That, Lord, we might be strengthened in our hearts. That we might be reminded of what you have done. And from there, we might be able to go tell people of the beauty and the wonder and the great things you have done in us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.